Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 60 and today I want to talk about perfect families, mistakes and listening to kids. A few other things along the way, celebrating the everyday, cakes, popularity and if I don't forget, the mean kids story. To start by talking about taking joy in the journey is something we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. Yes, slowing down, doing what our kids would like to do, taking the time to enjoy all the small moments of our day, not rushing from thing to thing, but doing things like going on a picnic or stopping by the park on the way home from the shops, sitting down and reading books together, not rushing out the door maybe celebrating all the little things that happen in life. We do that all the time. We're always celebrating. And in the week, we did have another celebration. My daughter Charlotte, who is 18, finally got around to doing the driver knowledge test so that she can get her learner's permit to learn to drive. Now, she could have got this permit two years ago when she turned 16. But for some reason, she didn't really feel the need to do it then. But now she's ready, and last Friday, she took the test. All the girls came with us, and after Charlotte passed the test with flying colors, 100%, I guess she had two years to prepare, we went to the lake for morning tea. That's sort of our go-to place. Let's have morning tea at the lake. I think we're very lucky to have a lake right in town. Somewhere beautiful that we can go, sit at a picnic table, take a few photos, enjoy the view. Somewhere nice and quiet and peaceful. So that's what we did Friday. We had a small morning tea celebration and then we went to our very favourite place, the library. Well, I guess the bush is my favourite place, but following hot on the heels of the bush is the library. All those books. So celebrations don't have to be very big. And I've talked about this before, but is it spoiling our children if we do things like this? If we're always having special morning teas for this and that and the other, trying to bring extra joy into our days? Won't our kids expect it all the time? Won't they not be prepared to live an ordinary life? Well, I've been thinking about this, and I have a very good reason, in my opinion, for celebrating all those little everyday moments. When we celebrate, we've got our eyes open. We see things worth celebrating. We see all the little joys, all the blessings, and it makes us grateful. Yes, we have something else worthy to celebrate. They don't have to be huge things. don't even have to be as big as getting a, a driver's learner's permit. They can be tiny little things, but they are worth celebrating and remembering and taking note of and being grateful for. So we celebrate everything. Now we have a number of celebrations every year, which other people celebrate as well, like anniversaries, birthdays, Easter, Christmas, lots of feast days. Not all of them. We don't celebrate everything in the liturgical year because I don't think we'd keep up. And that's a big pressure to celebrate everything that we possibly could. But we have our celebrations that we really enjoy. 
Of course, in between those celebrations, there's music exam celebrations, regardless of the results, and other things that come along which we think are worth making a big deal about. So how do we celebrate? We might already have guessed that we have a lot of picnics. We like our food. We also like cake. Now, some years ago, the girls used to make a special chocolate mud cake for every celebration. They made so many of them, and I took so many photos of them that one day I decided that I'd write a blog post about it. Post the recipe to our famous chocolate mud cake. So I did that, and then I said to the girls, "Hey, girls." I've written my very first recipe blog post. I'm not in the habit of doing that. I must have only have written a handful of that type of posts over the years that I've been blogging. The girls came running and they said, "Hey, Mum, do you think we should celebrate your very first recipe blog post? Perhaps we should celebrate by baking a cake," which I thought was a rather typical reaction. But as I said, that was a few years ago. We no longer make chocolate mud cakes. Well, occasionally we do, but very, very occasionally, and that's because we are now sugar-free. How did we become sugar-free? And did I force my children to take up a new diet? Did I say one day we are no longer going to buy sugar? We are going to change our diet. Well, that's not exactly how it happened. I'd heard a lot of other people talking about changing their diets and going sugar-free. I just stuck my heels in. I didn't really want to know. I like cake. I like sweet things. But one day, when we were in Big W, we were waiting in the queue to go through the checkouts. There was a display of books, and the book was called "I Quit Sugar." As we were standing there, I flicked through a few pages. It was a nice-looking book. And I had a couple of my older girls with me, and I said, "Do you think we ought to read this book?" And they said, "Well, yeah, we could buy it. We could read it." So I bought it, took it home, and instead of reading it, I gave it to my girls to read. I said, "Why don't you read this book and tell me if we ought to go sugar-free?" So a couple of days later, they came to me and said, "Yeah, Mum, we think that we ought to adopt a sugar-free diet." I guess I asked for it. I asked for their opinion, and they made. The decision, and since then, which is probably I don't know three or four years, we no longer buy sugar. Well, to be perfectly truthful, we buy a bag of sugar every now and then. Some of our guests do like sugar in their tea, and there is a couple of recipes that we haven't been able to convert to sugar-free. And very, very occasionally, we do buy a bag of sugar so we can make that recipe. So we're not fanatical about being sugar-free. I still buy finger buns for the girls if we go to the shopping centre. If we visit anybody and they have a gorgeous cake or a delicious dessert, we don't object and say, "I'm sorry, we can't eat that cake. We're sugar free." No, we don't say a word. We just dive in and enjoy. I must admit that we haven't been invited to dinner anywhere for rather a long time, so there hasn't really been a problem, which might be rather worrying. Where have all our friends gone? On Sunday after mass, I did take the time to chat to a friend. I hadn't seen her for a few weeks, and I did enjoy catching up with her. All the rest of my family disappeared outside the church. I was standing in the doorway, and they were waiting to go to the lake for a breakfast picnic. Yes, more picnics. 
we were going to go down to the lake to celebrate how cool and beautiful it is at 8.30 on a summer's morning. Because the rest of the day got very hot, but we wanted to get out there in the fresh air early in the morning. Something worth celebrating with a picnic breakfast. But back to my friend. I had a few words with her, and then I rushed out. I had said, everybody's waiting for me. I'd better go. And I was all apologetic as I came running back to the rest of the family. Sorry, I'm sorry for holding you up. I don't get to talk to people very often. And my husband, Andy, said, you talk to people all the time. And I said, yes, I do. I talk to a lot of people online. I don't often talk to people in real life. Somehow, all our friends have gone off in different directions from us. So I'm really grateful for the internet and also for big daughters who are my friends. People do strange things when they don't have a lot of real-life friends to talk to. They sit at home in their bedrooms on a Wednesday afternoon and they talk to themselves and they record it and then they put it up on the internet as a podcast. I'm sure some of my real-life friends don't understand that at all. I think they think that is strange behavior. But I enjoy doing it, and I hope that there are people out there who are listening to this podcast today. Now, last week I was talking about a video interview that I did with my daughter Sophie. Sophie's 14. And I caught her down at the bush the other day. She was down there taking some photos, and I grabbed her and I said, let's make an interview together. And she was agreeable, because she always has things to say. She's a wonderful person to interview. We talked about perfect families, mistakes, and listening to children. I made the video, and then Sophie very kindly edited it for me. She does a great job with the editing. She uses Photoshop Premiere, I think. She makes it look good. And when she finished, uh, had the video ready for uploading to YouTube, uh, she asked me if I'd like to have a look at it. So I did. And when I watched it, I realized something. I am certainly not perfect. I made a huge mistake while I was making that video, while I was interviewing Sophie. An interview is supposed to be questions, and then you listen to the other person's answers. And I realized... For the first couple of minutes of my interview, I talked far too much. I hardly gave Sophie a chance to say anything. So if you do watch that interview, please persevere through the first couple of minutes of me chatting away and wait until Sophie comes in. Because eventually I did give her a chance to say something and what she had to say was very interesting. First of all, we talked about, are we a perfect family? And Sophie said no. That's probably all I gave her a chance to say. I think that blogs can give people the opinion that we are a perfect family or any other blogger's family is perfect as well. We post nice photos. We tell good stories. But we're just regular people. My girls suffer from things like acne. I have wrinkles, though I'm a bit vain. If my wrinkles are too visible, I might choose another photo, something that makes me look a little bit prettier, a little bit younger. So I will admit that. And Sophie sometimes comes to me and says, Mom, I took some photos of you the other day. Have a look at them. Can I post them online? 
So I have a look through them and say, well, that one's all right. That one's all right. Oh, no, I look so dreadful. Please don't post that one. So, yes, I will admit that we are not as perfect as we might seem in appearance. What about our lives? I don't think we live a charmed life at all. Life isn't happy day in, day out. I don't think anybody's life is that way. We all have issues that we have to deal with. I sometimes talk about the things that bother me, the things that I struggle with, because they're my personal things. I'm free to share those with whoever I like. And as the years have gone by, I have more courage and I open up, and I'm more honest than I would have been when I was younger. Maybe sharing some of my difficulties will help me connect with other people who are going through similar circumstances. But for my older children especially, I respect their privacy. My eldest daughter, Felicity, once was very, very open on my blog. She talked about her mental illness. She suffers from bipolar disorder, which has turned her life upside down. Yeah, her life didn't turn out quite as perfectly as I imagined when she was very little. I'm not saying her life isn't good, but what I'm saying is that it is just different. I didn't imagine having a child with a mental illness. She's had a lot more to deal with than I ever wanted her to deal with. We'd like to give our children a perfect life, push them out there into the adult world, thinking that they're going to be perfectly happy. But life isn't that way at all. So we're not a perfect family. Does that matter? Should I stop blogging? Shall I stop podcasting? What gives me the right to talk and write about the things I do when I know we are far from perfect? I don't think that imperfection is a problem. We're a family of imperfect people. You probably are too. Everybody's family is that way. That's what families are all about. Imperfect people who accept each other, who support each other through their trials, help each other through the things they have to deal with, love them through everything. Yes, we love and respect each other. The bonds between us grow stronger. I think everybody will be okay, even though we're imperfect. Yeah, love is more important than perfection. And I hope that's what you receive when you listen to my podcasts or read my blog posts. Not the message that we're perfect and everybody will be perfect just like us. But even though we're not perfect, we can bond together as a family, love each other and help each other through life. That is the most important thing. And that's what we're doing. I've talked about mistakes and perfection before in another podcast, episode 21. It's called Being Honest, Talking About Mistakes and Perfection. Now, I haven't listened to that podcast in a long time. That was, what, 39 episodes ago. I don't know if I said anything worth listening to. I'm rather afraid to go back and have a listen and see what I did say. Probably it wasn't a very professional-sounding podcast as well. Those early days, when I made a lot of technical errors with my podcasting. But I invite you to go back to episode 21 if you'd like to listen to me speaking more about mistakes and perfection. Back to my interview with Sophie. Sophie said in the interview that I make mistakes all the time. I guess I asked for that. I asked the question, Sophie, do I make mistakes? And she said, with a lot of enthusiasm, yes. But then she qualified it. She says, everybody makes mistakes. And I guess we all do. 
I asked her if she could tell people of one mistake that I have made. And fortunately for me, she couldn't think of anything off the top of her head. I'm sure if I'd given her a few minutes, she could have thought of lots of examples. But we moved on pretty quickly. So I'm not perfect, and I make lots of mistakes. I could give you the wrong ideas, the wrong information. I've done that before. We're back to, why should I be blogging? Why should I be podcasting? What gives me the right when I make lots of mistakes? Have I told people things in the past and then realized later on that I made a mistake, that I misinformed people? Yes, I have done that. Once, years ago, I was asked to give a talk at a homeschooling camp. Somebody asked me to give a talk about chores, our routine at home, and I was really quite proud of the way we run our family. All my kids did their chores, no problem at all. They still do their chores, no problem at all. But many years ago, they didn't freely choose to do the chores like they do now. They did them for an entirely different reason. And I'm rather ashamed of this reason, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway. I used to have a chore roster, which I drew up, and I allocated the various chores to, to various children, and I expected all those chores to be done every single morning. Some of my children weren't quite so good at completing their commitments. And when morning tea would come around, about 10 o'clock in the morning, and we would down our pens and books and whatever, and stop to have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, a drink, whatever. I would say, who has done their morning chores? And if somebody hadn't done their morning chores, I wouldn't let them have their morning tea. I would say, you can't have your morning tea until you have gone and completed everything on the roster. So off they'd go and hurry through their jobs, just so that they could have something to eat and something to drink. I think that this was quite mean of me. But it worked. Well, it sort of worked. The chores got done. I think it did nothing for our relationship, the relationship between me and my children. It didn't add to the closeness of our family. Nobody did things out of love for each other. I learnt that later on, and we do things a totally different way these days. The end result is the same. The chores get done. But there are so many more benefits of having children who do them freely they choose to do their chores. They do them out of love and not because mum's there saying, you're going to have to do those chores or I'm not going to feed you. Anyway, I wrote about this talk later on. Someone said, oh, this is a wonderful talk. And of course, I felt rather marvellous. I'd given this wonderful talk. Maybe I'd be invited back to give another one. Yeah, pride. So I, someone said, could you write that down for me? I would like to share that with other people. So I smiled I went home and I wrote it all down in an article and I printed it out and I gave it to my friend. Eventually, the article got published in a homeschooling newsletter. That newsletter is online somewhere, but I'm not going to tell you where you can find it because I don't really want people reading that anymore. Yeah, we can say things, we can write things down, and later on, the evidence is still there somewhere, but we've changed our minds. So... Perhaps what I'm saying today, I'll change my mind about. Why should you listen? I could be making some mistakes. What makes what I'm saying today different from what I said some years ago? I've been thinking about this, and I think there's two things that make things different today. One is I'm listening to my children now. 
I'm not perfect. My ideas are still changing. I'm still learning. But maybe you are too. I know my ideas will develop further. I used to require my children to do maths every day, even though I called myself an unschooler. But with time, we've moved on from that. Readers can follow our unschooling journey by going to my blog, looking at the dates of the posts. Maybe some readers are at the stage where they're also requiring maths. Maybe that's helpful for them. Sometimes I think I should go back through my blog, delete all those early posts, just have a perfect picture on my blog. But I also think that following a journey is a good learning experience as well. The second reason I'm not so worried these days about telling people things that might be wrong, about passing on my mistakes, is that I listen to God these days instead of myself. And I really believe that what I'm doing, talking to people about unschooling, writing about unschooling, is what he wants me to do. Now, I know not all my readers and all my listeners are Christians. And sometimes I wonder if mentioning God puts people off. I'm not talking to a purely Christian audience. Today, I do want to say a quick word about Christian unschooling. But it's only going to be a quick word, and then I'm going to share some thoughts that might apply to all unschoolers. So I hope that if you aren't a Christian unschooler, that you're not going to click off, go somewhere else. I hope that you'll stick around, because I think that we all have things that we can share, regardless of our faith or our lack of faith. But first of all, I want to tell a bit of a funny story. Well, I thought it was funny. One day I was Googling unschooling, looking for some articles and things that I could recommend to people. And I came across this reference to my own blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. It appears that someone was asking if anybody knew some unschoolers who had teenage children. It was in a forum. And somebody said that Stories of an Unschooling Family might be appropriate But they also added, while they are religious, I don't get that obnoxious feeling. I don't know what the rest of the sentence is because I didn't click over and read the entry, the forum entry. I think I can get too curious. What would they say about me? I think sometimes it's safer not to know. While they are religious, I don't get that obnoxious feeling. So obnoxious. Are we an obnoxious family because... We are Christian unschoolers. I don't suppose that person's opinion matters one way or another, but I don't want to be obnoxious, no. I suppose what that person meant was that I don't push religion at my readers and my listeners. God is important in my life. There's no doubt about that at all. Number one priority. And I like to share what's important in my life, but I also like to share it in a gentle, respectful way. Sometimes God comes into the conversation. There's no avoiding it. And I don't really want to avoid it. But I don't have to put God into every second sentence. Because I think that there are lots and lots of aspects of unschooling we can share with anybody, regardless of their background. So I hope, yes, I don't come over as obnoxious. There might be some secular homeschoolers or unschoolers who may not like Christian unschoolers. But I also think there are some Christian homeschoolers who might object to us as well. They might condemn us for unschooling. How can we be so irresponsible leading this 
type of life. Kids have to do certain things. It's good for them to do things they don't like. That's just a fact of life. If a mother and a child ends up battling over schoolwork, well, that's just the way things have to be. Kids have to learn. They have to learn who's in authority. They have to be obedient. And when things do get tough and mothers start getting frustrated and tired and wonder what to do, they have to keep on going. It's their duty. They have to demand that obedience from their children. They have to discipline their children. They might even have to use the rod because we've all heard that spare the rod and spoil the child. Kids will thank mothers in the long run for making them do what the mother felt was the right thing because parents know best. They have more experience. They know better than kids. Well, I think this is what a lot of people think. Christian unschooling isn't a very Christian thing to do in their eyes. But as the years have gone by, I think that the more I unschool, the more I see that it is a very, very Christian thing to do, that more people should be doing it. It involves a lot of principles associated with Christianity. We have to love unconditionally, show mercy, forgive instantly, give of ourselves freely. I think that's all signs of a true love. Just because our children have the freedom to choose what they want to do doesn't mean they always choose to be self-centered. Sometimes they choose to do things they don't want to do. They do it out of love. And I think that's a much better reason for them to do it than to do it because they have to be obedient to their mother. Because their mother has said, you have to do it. And we have to give our children the opportunity to freely give of themselves. How can they learn to be self-giving if they never have the opportunity, if they're always told what to do? Well, that's a few things I've been thinking about as far as Christian unschooling goes. I want to talk about listening to kids next. This was the final thing that Sophie and I talked about in her interview. Sophie said she thinks parents should listen to their kids. She said, we can read blogs and books. We can listen to podcasts, but we'll learn more about our kids if we listen to them. Kids have opinions. They know what they need and where they're at and what they're interested in and where they want to go. Parents might think they know better than their kids because, as I've said, they're older, they have more experience. But parents aren't their children. They don't know their children like the child knows herself. I love talking to my children. I do it as often as I can. I am constantly amazed by the things that they say. They share their ideas with me, their opinions, their dreams. I think it's rather an honor to be able to listen to them. I asked Sophie if she thinks all children talk, that they talk to their parents. If a parent gives a child an opportunity to talk, will they open up and say something? She doesn't think all children will, because they're not used to it. Or maybe when they do open up, the parent takes it as an opportunity to say what they want to say, or to jump in and give their own opinion. Maybe a child has learnt not to open up. But I think we can all get into the habit of listening to our kids. 
and we have to listen properly. Because if we don't, our children will think, look, what's the point? And they won't say anything. So what makes us good listeners? I used to think I was a very good listener until I did a breastfeeding counseling course, oh, many, many, many years ago. We had to learn communication skills as part of that course. Not only did we have to know how breastfeeding works, we had to know how to impart that information to the people who needed our help. It's no good just giving information. We have to show empathy. We have to know how to make suggestions, how to question, how to reflect back what people are saying, and most importantly, how to listen. And that very first meeting I went to on listening skills made me realize that I was a very poor listener. Do people ever talk to you and you just let their words wash over you? You think of something else while they're talking. I used to do this all the time. I sometimes still do it when I don't catch myself in time. We wait until the person has finished speaking so that we can get back to whatever we were doing before. Or perhaps we've got something we want to say. It might be something on a totally different subject. All we're doing is waiting for an opportunity to jump in and say what we want to say. We're not showing any interest in the other person at all. And this isn't listening. I think listening is when we are interested in the other person. They know we're listening because we reflect back what they're saying. Every now and then we might say, it sounds like you're having a difficult time, or wow, that sounds interesting, or we might add a few little things along the way, such as, and what happened next, or even some ums and ahs to encourage them to keep on going. Maybe a few questions about whatever they're talking about. Tell me more about blah, blah, blah. That sounds very interesting. It's really hard to think of perfect examples while I'm sitting here talking to myself. But I think you get the idea. What we don't do is jump in and take control of the conversation. We don't sit there while we're supposed to be listening, making up what we're going to say as soon as we get the opportunity. Because then we miss what the person is saying. We also have to look like we're listening. We don't slump back with glazed eyes. We sit forward. We have eye contact. Yeah, our bodies say a lot about whether we're listening or not. I once went to lunch with another family with a very gentle and humble priest. And while we were sitting there at the table, one of the people, an older man, started talking about something which I thought was very boring. But the priest, in his gentle way, listened, and he reflected back, he asked appropriate questions, he looked like he was enjoying that conversation immensely. Did he enjoy the conversation? I have no idea. I thought it was pretty run-of-the-mill. Maybe the priest did as well. Maybe he wasn't interested in the conversation, but he was certainly interested in the speaker. And he made that speaker feel very valued. And yes, sometimes people don't have very interesting things to say, but they're important to them. And we can take the time to listen and to make that person feel valuable. It's not always about us. I think listening to kids is a bit like helping them. When they need help, we can get into the habit of saying, in a minute, in a minute, and not actually putting down what we're doing and going, getting up, off the sofa and actually helping them. 
I think the same thing happens with listening. Our kids want us to listen, and we think, in a minute, in a minute, I'm just doing this. I'll listen in a minute. We're not willing to put down whatever we're doing and give them our full attention. And there are many, many times when I could put my children ahead of what I'm doing. Checking my emails is not more important than my children, not more important than listening to what they want to tell me. Checking my Facebook is the same. I have children here who want to talk to me now, and if I don't listen to them, they're going to give up and go away. They're not going to want to talk to me about anything. There are some times, I will admit, when I'm in my creative world, I'm in the middle of writing something, I'm far away, I hardly hear the request, Mom, I've got something to tell you, or whatever my children are saying to open up a conversation. I might wave my fingers at them and not even realize I'm doing it in a minute. And they do give up and go away. Luckily, my children also are writers, and they understand about my creative world and how sometimes it is hard to pull myself back instantly, back into the real world and pay attention to them. And they give me that leeway. They respect my creative space. But I think they do that because I respect their creative space as well. I don't expect an instant response from them when they're also writing on their computers or doing something else creative. We have to give people time to reappear in the real world and then give them our full attention. So sometimes I do say, can I talk to you in a moment? I'm in the middle of something. Perhaps we can go for a walk when I finish this. So as long as I fulfill those promises so that my children know that, yes, I will talk to them, I will listen to them, later on in the day. They're quite happy to come back later to postpone that conversation. When my children were younger, I didn't have that luxury. Little kids need our attention immediately. I found this very frustrating at times. Being a creative person, I couldn't just disappear into my creative world. I had to be available at all times. We make lots of sacrifices when our children are little, and that's just one of them but I really do not regret it at all. We listen to our kids when they're little. Yeah, it can be frustrating at times. They have a lot to say, little kids. A lot of it is repetitious. A lot of it isn't as interesting as we'd like. It's not mentally stimulating. We want to get on and do something else. But in the long term, it does get us into the habit of listening and our children into the habit of speaking. And it lasts through the years. All my children come to me and talk, and I listen. Even my young adults share their lives with me. They don't ring me up every day, the ones that have left home, but they keep in close contact. They talk of things that matter to them. I go for morning coffee with my young adults, and we sit and we talk about things that are important to them. I hope they know that they can talk to me about anything. I think it started off from when they were little. Of course, when we're listening, it's not an opportunity for us to have our say, to fix our kids' problems if they're telling us about something that's worrying them, something that they don't know how to deal with. It's not an opportunity for us to give our opinions, unless, of course, they invite us to do that. We can show them empathy and wait for an opportunity to be invited in. And my children usually do that. I think they have to know that we're not going to judge them or take over the conversation. We're not going to talk at them. Our children are free 
to listen to us and reject our suggestions or accept them as they like. Now those are a few of the things that I've been thinking about this week because of the interview that I did with Sophie. You can find that interview, Listening to Kids, an unschooling interview on YouTube. Now a few days ago, I had a rush of visitors to my unschooling blog. Somebody shared one of my posts about chores on Facebook and a whole lot of people landed on my blog to see what I had to say about the subject. How to get kids to do the chores. This seems to be the big question or one of the big questions. There are so many parents who are searching for an answer to that question. I think that if I wrote a blog post about anything, but I included the word chores in the title, I would have a, a rush of people coming to read that post. If I put the word chores in the title of my blog, I would have a very popular blog. Perhaps I should give up my unschooling blog and write a blog about how to get kids to do the chores. But do I want a popular blog? Years ago, when I first started blogging, yes, I wanted a popular blog. I wanted people to rush to my blog. I wanted the page views to mount up. I wanted a million followers. I changed my mind, which is just as well, because I didn't get all those followers. These days, I try not to worry about popularity, about page views and followers. I just write and speak and hope that there's at least a few people that will find at least some of what I've got to say helpful. Unschooling is something that I feel an urge to share. Not me, not my family, but the unschooling message. The other day, I was listening to a podcast on my iPod, and along the bottom of the screen there's various options, and I pressed one by mistake. I wanted the one that said, My Podcasts, and I actually pressed Top Charts, which is the podcast charts, the top podcasts of the day the ones that most people are listening to. And I had it set for K-12, to the education podcasts. And as I'd pressed on the button by mistake, I sort of scrolled through the list of podcasts, and I found this podcast, Stories of an Unschooling Family, at number 60. I rushed up to my girls and I said, Hey girls, my podcast's at number 60. 60 in the whole world of all the podcasts on iTunes, of all the education podcasts. I'm competing with people at school, all sorts of education, not just homeschooling, not just unschooling. I got really excited about this. And the girls congratulated me. Perhaps we should have had a cake and celebrated. I think we missed our opportunity because the next day I thought, look, I'll go and check that again, see if I'm still at number 60. The next day I was at number 160 and my smile sort of went down a little and I thought, oh, well, at least I was at number 60 for a day. But a part of me also thought, how am I going to keep up at number 60? Perhaps I should be doing something different. What was it that put me at number 60? I mentally went through my last podcast, what did I say? What was in the title? What made people click on and listen? What didn't I do so well last week that put me down a bit? Popularity has two sides to it. It can seem attractive to want to be popular. We work towards getting more popular, getting our word out there. 
And when we do become popular or more popular, suddenly there's a pressure to stay there and it gets worrying. How are we going to stay at the top? And as I said, I started thinking about the previous week's podcasts. Why were they more popular than previous ones? Did I have something outstanding to share? Did my title sound very inviting, something that people might want to listen to? And then I thought about, what am I going to talk about this week? Can I replicate that success? Have I got something world-changing to share? Will people keep listening if I don't? Yes, if nobody listens, I might as well give up. What do you think? Is it okay to sometimes talk about the ordinary things? Do we always have to have something outstanding to talk about? Will you still listen? If I don't have a big topic of the day like chores. getting on but I did promise that I would try to squeeze in the mean kids story. I totally forgot to talk about this last week. I will have to get more organized, write better notes and check them as I'm speaking. Anyway this story has to do with Sophie as well but this one's from years ago when she was quite small. I don't know how old, maybe maybe six, maybe eight. Anyway Sophie was a kind of child that loved everybody. She still does I think. Yet she's a warm-hearted, generous type person. She's interested in everybody. Sophie, when she was a lot younger, loved everybody and she thought everybody loved her in return. It was a really sad day when she found out that not everybody likes her. We once went to a meeting with a lot of other children, a lot of other parents. And I went off to talk to the parents and when I came back, I found Sophie playing alone with Gemma Rose, her younger sister. And I said, why aren't you playing with the other girls? We've come to this meeting so you can play with your friends. Why aren't you playing with them? I wondered if she was having trouble being part of the group. I told her she had to try harder. Talk to them. Ask them questions. Make an effort. Try and be part of the group. We're all rather introverted and... We've had to learn some skills in communicating with other people, being parts of the group. And I thought maybe this was the problem. She just didn't know what to say. And Sophie said to me, I've done all that, Mom. I've made an effort. They don't like me. They don't want me to be part of the group. And I said, of course they do. And she said, they don't. And I said, how do you know they don't? And she said, well, one of the girls said to me, we don't like you go away. Well, what do you say when a child says that to you? Pretty clear, isn't it? Some kids are mean. How do you teach your children to deal with such things? Well, Sophie these days still likes people, but she's a bit more guarded now. She realizes that people aren't as friendly as she would like them to be, and she's dealing with that. We had another occasion of mean kids, maybe two or three weeks ago, Gemma Rose and Sophie are going to St. John Ambulance meetings on a Friday evening. They've been going now for about nine months, and they haven't really become part of the group with the other children. They haven't really made any friends, although Sophie and Gemma Rose assure me that they have been very friendly, that they talk to the other kids. As a mother, I ask them questions, do you need to try harder? And they say, we do, Mum. They don't want to know us. 
And I say, how do you know? And they say, well, tonight we sat down at a table and everybody else got up and left. They went to sit on another table. Somebody passed round chocolate M&Ms and they gave them to everybody except us. They never ask us about anything we're interested in. All they ever do is talk about school and that's really difficult for us. I think it's very, very difficult for my girls. I know all kids can be mean. I'm not saying my girls are perfect. They've probably had their times of being mean to other people, or at least thoughtless to other people. I'm thoughtless too at times. We all are. But it is heartbreaking for a mother to see her children in these sort of situations. I said to the girls, do they really want to go to these meetings? And Gemma Rose surprised me by saying, yes, she does want to keep going to the meetings because she wants to do the first aid course. She wants to go out on duty. She wants to treat people for first aid. And to do that, she has to interact with the other kids at the meeting. For the moment, she wants to persevere. I admire her for that. She's not going to give in. And Sophie's going to continue going to support Gemma Rose. So that's where we are with that. I wonder if anybody has some suggestions on situations like that. I think it's one of those situations where our children are very obviously different and they just don't fit in. I wouldn't want it any other way and Sophie has talked about being different before and she doesn't want it any other way either. Do they just have to put up with other people not being quite as friendly as they could be? coming to the end of this podcast I think it's a marathon one I haven't shared any resources again and I'm not going to this week because I've had sick kids in the family our week wasn't as normal as I'd hoped we've gone from a really hectic week to a quiet week but this quiet week was one of sickness the girls didn't actually do a great deal Gemma Rose has spent a lot of her week lying on her bed she's getting better though I'm hoping for good things next week well, next week, before I say goodbye, just tell you that you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes. You can follow it through Podbean or follow along with my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. You can find me on YouTube, Pinterest, where I have all my boards of resources. You could follow me on Instagram, where I try and post different photos to the ones I'm posting on my blog. You could also stop by my Facebook timeline, you could try Twitter, but you probably won't find me there very often. So there are all the places that you can find me on the internet. So please feel welcome to stop by my blog, say hello if you'd like to comment on anything I've said today. You might even like to suggest some future topics for podcasts. I would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. And until next week, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Thank you.